Genesis chapter 3, Brother Mitchell will lead us. Start with me on verse 1, and then we'll read every other verse together. Ready? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and thought it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto them and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And 13 as the last and the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. We're in Genesis chapter 3. Find your Bibles there if you would, please. We're taking the time in this month to talk a little bit about the righteousness of God in, re in reference to marriage and parenting, in uh, raising children and in the family. There's... A broken home is the world's greatest wreck, and the devil is nonstop trying to break a marriage. If he can get a marriage broken, he feels pretty good about the kids and pretty good about the destruction that's going to continue going. Now, all of us have broken marriages, I would say, in our lineage, whether it be grandma, grandpa, or aunts, or uncles, or cousins, or even in our own family. And in no way do I want to shame or cause any embarrassment to anyone today in regards to that. But I do want to do as best I can to tell you that God loves marriage. God loves the home. And everybody needs a Christian home. Everybody needs an eternal home with God in heaven. And everybody needs to have a church home. But a Christian home happens when you and I are living the Christian life. It's not a walk in the park. It's not easy for husbands to love. It's not easy for wives to reverence. It's not easy for children to obey and to honor. That's why we've been given commandments to do it. And to obey those commandments, you and I will need the Holy Spirit of God to do it. Matter of fact, a shortcut to being what you ought to be in your family is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You can do better things by accident with the Holy Spirit's help than you can on purpose trying to do the right things. 
I think it's great. Our bookstore has great uh, materials available on the family. You should purchase a book on marriage or child rearing from time to time that can be a help and a blessing to you. I encourage you to do that. But you can read every book on marriage and, and every book on child rearing and fail miserably if you and I are not seeking to walk in the Spirit. Well, the foundations of marriage were given by God. The Bible tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And each day, He created something. Day number one, let there be light. Day number two, He created distance between heaven where He lives and earth where we live. Day number three, He made the dry ground to appear. He put vegetation in there, put a seed inside of every plant so it could reproduce after its kind. In day number four, he made the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night. He made the stars as well. Day number five, he made the fish that, uh, that swim and the birds that fly. Two things that human beings cannot do on their own. They have to have help. And then day number six, he made the animal kingdom. And then after making the animal kingdom, which has a body and a soul, they don't have a spirit. There are no dog churches or monkey pastors or cat prayer meetings or or horse soul winning times. <laughs> they don't have that. They don't have that aptitude to, 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 to minister to God. You do. Because you're made not as a body and a soul, but you're made as a body, soul, and a spirit. And your spirit is that part of you that knows there's a God, that communicates with God, that longs to reach out to Him. At no time does a dog or a cat or, a, or, a, or an animal cry out to God. They don't have that part. You do. You and I are made in the image of God. And then on the seventh day, after he makes Adam and Eve, but on the seventh day, he rests from his labor. Not because God is tired, but giving us a pattern that we are to work six days and take one day for rest and worship as a, as a pattern to us. And in chapter 2, the Lord gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what happened on day number 6 around his pristine creation, and that's man. What happened there? Well, he gave man first when he breathed in his, into his nostrils a breath of life, and he became a living soul. He gave him three things real quickly. He gave him a responsibility. He said, I want you to dress and keep the garden. Every man ought to have a responsibility. You ought to have a job to do. You ought to have a purpose. Men who sit around and just watch the world go by are wasting the breath that God has given them. Hey, there's something God wants you to do. God made a man to be responsible. We've got a, a world full of deadbeat dads. We've got a world full of irresponsible teenage boys and irresponsible uh, young men and uh, single adults and married men and senior adults that are not doing anything, just watching the world go by. Knock it off. Find out why God put you on the planet and decide to do something responsible. Number two, God gave him a rule. He said, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good. Anything else you can eat, don't eat that one. He gave him a rule. By the way, God still functions in mankind with the Word of God with rules. Things to do, things not to do. And you and I don't break God's law. We break ourselves against them. If God tells you to do something, just do it. If He tells you it's something is sin, believe it and avoid it. be a good idea for all of us. He gave him a responsibility. He gave him a rule. Then He gave him a relationship. 
First, with God. By the way, the best men are men who have a right relationship with God first. You want to be a good dad? Have a right relationship with God. You want to be a good brother? Have a right relationship with God. You want to be a good wife? Have a good relationship with God. Everything starts with Him. You've seen the analogy, here's the wife, here's the husband, here's Jesus. You get closer to Jesus, you automatically get closer to one another. Everything else comes together much better. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what happens? All these other things will be added unto you. We find ourselves chasing shadows when you need to turn around and chase the light. Chase the light and the shadow will follow you. We chase riches, we chase success, we chase fame, we chase happiness. And one of the most sorry things you can do is chase happiness. Well, I deserve to be happy. Show me that Bible verse. You don't see that in the Bible. You see a lot of things about being happy. You see a lot of things about being blessed, but they always are a byproduct and a terrible goal. You you chase the will of God and you're going to find happiness is going to follow you. You do what God wants you to do. We obey Him as we should. Happiness will be a byproduct. You start chasing money. He said, if you try to do that, you're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. You try to chase happiness, and it's going to be all about life around you. And it's going to be empty. And you're going to be sitting in a nursing home one day, drooling yourself, wondering why people don't come visit you. It's because you've lived your life chasing what you want for you. And God wants us to seek the kingdom of God. That means living life His way and His righteousness, His Son, His way of doing things. And then all these other things will come along with that. Well, God, He gave him a responsibility. He gave him a rule and He gave him a relationship. And then He said, well, one thing is not good. It's not good that man, Adam, be by himself. He needs a helper. And He gave him Eve. He tells us why marriage is important. Marriage is important, and and God likes marriage. By the way, people nowadays want to live together without being married. That's a no-no. That is a sin. That is not God's plan. People tell me sometimes, well, you know what? We just need to try each other out before we do this, make this big commitment. No. You make a commitment, and then you, you continue God's way. Now, I know that's acceptable in the world, and I may be throwing it right into your face this morning. I don't know my audience completely, so I can't say I'm talking to any one person. I'm talking about the biblical truths of God's Word. As for God, His way is perfect. Doing things His way is vital and important. But He said, okay, now listen, we got, you can't be by yourself, and so we're going to make marriage. Why does He want marriage? Because a good marriage brings glory to Him. There's one of the biggest billboards in the world is the billboard of a man who loves God and is crazy about his wife and a wife who loves God and reverences her husband and they both direct their attention to their kids. That's a beautiful thing. The world can put people on the moon, but they can't figure out how to get along with each other. We can do all kinds of unbelievable things, and, but they can't. John Paul Getty, who was owned the, uh, the oil company, the Standard Oil Company, was so many, I think it's Standard, it might be a wrong company. He owned a large, he was an oil tycoon. And he said, I would give, I would give my fortune for one good marriage. He made more money than he could ever spend, but he couldn't figure out marriage after five failed attempts. 
Mr. Getty and everybody else needs to get to God because he knows how a good marriage is going to work. A marriage is good because it brings others a good opinion of God. A marriage is good because it gives you and I companionship. A marriage is good because it's the arena in which you can enjoy physical pleasure. It's okay within the realms of marriage. And then it's okay because a marriage is good because it's the optimal environment in which children are raised securely. A beautiful thing about these kids right here, the one of the things that gives them hope is if their dad and mom will stay close to the Lord and close to each other. It is um, parents, it is a, a marriage's stability that brings automatically security to the children. A lot of insecurity happens when mom and dad can't figure it out. They're too selfish. They're too proud. They're too selfish to be able to figure some things out. If you can't find a reason to stay with their mama, make that child the reason. Can't find a reason to stay with that, 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 uh, that husband? Make that child the reason. So, well, then I won't be happy. Well, it's, again, it's not about your happiness. It's about responsibility. It's about rules. And it's about relationship. Now, I understand all of this is, is very, I'm throwing it out there, and I realize everybody has experiences, and in no way do I want to be hurtful. I want to help. And usually the mature person who has had failures in their past is very happy to say, Pastor, preach on. Warn those coming after. I don't want them to have what I have. I want them to have better than I have. I want, had a lady today who said that to me, and she said, you know, Pastor, if I would have just stayed in church, if I wouldn't have quit going to church, my life would have been so much better. And that's true. That's spoken by somebody who's been there and done that and bought the T-shirt. Some of you, you can't wait till you're out of church. Boy, it's silly. You need God. Well, God said, it's not good. The man be alone. I'll make it help me. And he caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He made Eve. And he made Eve as a partner. He took a rib, not a head bone, so he could walk all, she could walk on him. Not a foot bone, so he could walk all over her, but a, a rib. A rib goes from the sternum to your backbone. is on the side of everyone's body. No one has a rib that starts here and goes around like this. No, they're partners. He made them to be partners. He made them to be that they would need each other, that they would, be, they would be together, working together. He would call the husband. The husband is a, is a term for a farmer. And a farmer, when you get married, a husband gets married, his father-in-law and God give him a piece of the farm. <laughs> and it's his to take care of. And you know, a beautiful farm reflects a very hardworking farmer. A farm that's the barn's about to fall over and the, the fences are broken down, the cows are whining, uh, it's because we've got a lazy farmer there. He's not tending to his thing. And, and it's, no, it's no walk in the park to be a good husband. It's work. It's selflessness. It's care. But the same thing, God just, they're, they're, they're equals, but there's the husband's the head. You know, it's, just, it's, it's kind of like uh, I have a head here and I'll put my hand up. I'll put this hand up and I'll do this and I'll move my hands. Do you know why I'm doing that? It's because my head is dictating to my fingers and my arms to do that. There's no fight going on here. This is just cooperation. The words I'm articulating out of my vocal cords and my tongue and my teeth and my, uh, my lungs, they're responding to my brain. And do you know what a husband and wife relationship is? It's when the head, by the way, the head 
the Bible says the head of the man is Christ. The head of Christ is God, and the head of the, of the woman is the man. There's not a competition there. There's cooperation. My hand is not, has, has no problem responding to my head. And in a sweet relationship, we, Linda and I, should be cooperating with each other. I can't, uh, I can't drink a cup with my head. I have to ha- take a hand to do that. There has to be cooperation. And then the whole body's functioning. I have sweet friends that have had strokes. And oftentimes their strokes, some takes away their, their, their vocal abilities. But many times half of their body is, 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 is uh, paralyzed. And their hands at once to be able to pick up and do this now just like this. And they want to do something and there's a disconnect between their brain and their arm. They don't respond. They used to be able to walk and now they can't, their leg won't listen to their head. It's not cooperating. And sometimes marriages are that way. Sometimes marriage, sometimes churches are that way. We have our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're not responding to him. And a good marriage is a husband and wife cooperating with God for the glory of God and for the good of that family. It's not a fight. The fight is is against me, my selfishness, and what I want. Well, God said, I want to make Eve. And he made Eve out of a rib. And then he brought her to Adam. And he said, look, now, for the cause of marriage shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they'll be one flesh. And he speaks to the, the, the idea of priority. Whenever you are single, God should always be number one, and your parents number two. And everyone else will fall after that relationship. When you get married, God becomes number one, your, 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 your spouse becomes number two, and everyone else is a distant third. Everybody else is, there's a switch, a switcheroo that takes place there. And those of us who are in-laws or our parents of folks who are married, really we ought to have our hands off, our mouth shut, our prayers on, and our hearts open to what their needs are, rather than being interfering. Something, one of the most challenging things oftentimes in a marriage is parents who can't figure it out, who are way too involved when they need to let the kids start their new family. They need that. The wife needs it. The husband needs it. These are important concepts that God gives us in the earth. Of course, Adam and Eve had no parents. So he wasn't talking to Adam and Eve. He was talking to you and I. And he's given a principle that for the cause of marriage, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves his wife. There'll be one flesh. We see here this verse is mentioned in Genesis and Matthew and Mark and then again in Ephesians. And it's mentioned four times in the Bible. If God only had one book, why would he mention the same verse four times? Because it's an important part of marriage. Making, whenever two become one, now every decision you have has to affect somebody else. You can be an idiot by yourself, but don't be an idiot and involve your wife and your husband. You had issues before you're married. Now now everything you do is a reflection of your spouse. Don't embarrass them. Don't shame them. Remember, you, everything you have to do is, is, is a reflection upon them. What you do on your phone, what you do at your work, how you pay your bills, your temper, everything. All of it's reflecting on your spouse. It's a wonderful relationship, but it's not an easy one. It takes a tremendous amount of the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. 
Well, then the Bible says the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. There was an openness that came. But then time has gone by, and we read chapter 3. I'll continue it this evening. But chapter 3, we see that uh, time goes by, and there they are, Adam and Eve, in the garden, anticipating the visit from the Lord Jesus Christ, the voice of God who would walk with them in the cool of the day, after a day of labor. By the way, work is not a curse. Everybody ought to work hard. Lazy people are a drain to their family. Lazy teenagers are a drain to their moms and dads. Lazy husbands and wives equally sap the energy out of families and institutions. Everybody ought to be aware. You say, well, I don't, I don't even get paid. Work. Well, I'm on a fixed income. Work. If you don't get paid for anything, that means you can, you can pick your job description. <laughs> go work. Do something. Volunteer. Stay active. Don't just sit and watch the world go by. Make sure you stay engaged. Well, the Bible tells us they're working, and there is a, uh, they, they anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus every night to walk in the cool of the day when God's voice comes and walks with them. But then there is a terrible thing happens in chapter 3. It's the fall of man. Eve finds herself around the very tree that she is not supposed to eat. There are thousands of trees in the Garden of Eden. There are plenty of wonderful things. But there is one tree that she's not supposed to be at, and there she finds herself. And she finds herself, I think, at the time, without her husband. She's there. He's probably petting lion's ears and checking their ears and clipping some banana leaves somewhere. He's doing what he's busy doing his thing, and she's over there, and now enters the serpent, who is using as a mouthpiece Satan. Satan is using the serpent. He's called the old serpent again in Revelation 12, verse number 9 and chapter 20 and verse number 2. Even in a future time, God's going to call Satan the old serpent. But he comes and he begins to communicate with Eve. He begins to talk to her and challenge her. If God really cares about her, he begins to cast doubt into the heart. And this girl at this time has not experienced evil. He, she only had experienced good. She lives in a perfect environment. She lives with a man who has been made by God. I don't know if days, weeks, months, or decades have gone by, but somewhere in this time, this wonderful utopian life, she finds herself curious about one place that one thing she can't have, not with her husband at the time, and she gets involved in a conversation. And then Adam shows up, and there's a challenge. I want to give you a couple things just real quickly, and then we'll continue and, for, and, and, and continue the message tonight on several concepts on the home and the marriage. The first concept is contentment. Contentment. All the things that Eve could have had, and she found the one thing she can't have, and curiosity brings her to the tree. I think maybe one of the most, the most damaging things in our families today is that we're not content with what God has given us. We have discontented children, discontented husbands, wives, 
mothers, just not happy. Contentment is something, and I, if I were writing the Bible, I probably would not have put this here. I don't have enough wisdom to do that. But the Bible tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. If you could fill in the blank there, and you didn't know 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 8, would you have put contentment as, as one of the two major pillars of your Christianity? Godliness with I don't know, some of us might put respect or obedience or, you know, kindness. That's not what God put. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. See, the enemy of contentment is comparison. Usually you and I are okay, we're happy until we see someone else have something more than we have. I like my car until I see your car. I'm content with my house until we go to your house. I like my tie until I see your tie. We just, we find ourselves discontent, have reasons why we're not happy. And contentment is really understanding that God has given you everything you need to be happy right now. And most of us will say, not me, I'm the exception to that one. Because if I had this and this and this, I could be happy. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us, let your conversation in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, let the way you live be without covetousness. That's the itch for more. That's mean like I'm not having any, if I had this, I could be happy. And be content with such things as you have, knowing this, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have God, you have all you need. I would just say this point, and I'll finish tonight, but the, the thing I want to share with you right quickly is, if you want to have a successful home, a successful marriage, a successful life, I think a good place to start would be with being godly and being content. You know why affairs start? Because someone is looking for something else. They're not happy with what God gave them. So they want to go to their phone. They want to go on the website. They want to find this person and this person. They want to, they want to entertain other options. You know why people aren't happy with what they have? And they're complaining. The Bible says to live with a contentious woman. That's the opposite of a contented woman. Contentious and just not happy. We have to just live in this dump. Why don't you make more money? We can have this, and we can have this, we can have this. And all of a sudden, to live with a woman like that, that just stirs it up. That she's not happy inside of her skin. You'd rather live in the corner of a housetop than to live with someone like that. We have men that way. It just doesn't matter what you do for them. They're not going to be happy. You can put the best of the, of the best of the best in front of them, and it doesn't matter. They are going to find a reason why this is not good enough for them. And they're miserable. And they make people around them miserable, and they raise miserable young people that want to be nothing like dad. Because we don't know where to pucker or to duck. We don't know where to hug or hide. Whatever, it's just no matter what's good, it's not good enough for them. And they blame everybody in the whole world. Well, if I had this and had this, well, you had that. And that's why you're like this. No, no. Listen, friend, somewhere along the line, we need to get a checkup from the neck up and understand what's going on here. And to have a meek and a quiet spirit. 
One of the biggest blessings you can give your family is to give them a dad that, has, that he's comfortable in his own skin. He's not just tore up all the time. Give them a mom that is comfortable in her own skin. Give your, your brother and sister a brother and sister that's comfortable. Give your parents a teenager that is comfortable in their own skin. Why? Because they have God. They have God. They're content with what God's given, with God and what he's given them. And they're living in a godly way. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Eve had not sinned yet. But Eve wasn't happy with all that God had given her. She just had to be over there with the one place she shouldn't be. And the opportunity would be Satan's to come, and we'll learn about this tonight. And, she, and he got her when she wasn't connected. I'll tell you just a little sneak. Tonight's message is about staying connected as a couple. Being connected physically, being connected emotionally, being connected spiritually. Not just going through life yelling across the wall of your home. Two strangers living in the same house. Not, not, not connected. You know why people don't stay connected? Because it's work. It's selfish. It's selflessness. It's care. It's energy to work to stay on the same page together. But when we're not, even the Bible says physically in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said, if you're going to abstain physically from intimacy because of fasting and prayer, agree together and then come back again together that Satan tempt you not for your inability to contain your incontingency. Satan is always looking for gaps in relationships so he can come in and begin to attack. Marriage is a big thing. Family is a big thing. We all need it. May God help us to be content and to stay connected.